0: I'm Colleen Phelps, and this is Classically Speaking. The performance you're hearing features Nashville Symphony concertmaster June Iwasaki playing one of the Violins of Hope, a collection of instruments that were played by Jewish musicians during the Holocaust. The instruments were found and restored in the 1990s by Israeli luthiers Amnon and Avshi Weinstein. The Violins of Hope took residency in Nashville in early 2018, and for months they were displayed, discussed, and even played. So June wasn't playing just any violin. He was playing an instrument that had been part of the men's orchestra at the Auschwitz concentration camp. I had to know about the experience of holding this much history.
1: The fact that the instrument was used in Auschwitz in their men's orchestra and to just imagining the horrors and the, the tragedy that was, you know, a part of our history now, unfortunately, it ran through my mind a few times. I tried to block it out because I knew if I let it overtake me, it would. I don't know what was going to happen. You know, I would think about it before the performance, after the performance, throughout the week, definitely. And I think everybody was thinking about it. But specifically when I was playing in front of the orchestra for 1,800 people, I tried not to think about it, to be honest. I wanted to be sure that I picked a violin that could soar over the orchestra. And if I couldn't find anything, I was going to play my own instrument. But luckily the Auschwitz violin, when Avshi handed it to me, said, I think you'll like this one. A lot of other violinists have, have chosen this one out of the lot, I immediately felt um, kind of a comfortableness to it when I was playing it.
0: The music from the movie Schindler's List is not only home to some of the most affecting moments in John Williams' catalog, it's one of the most recognizable scores in all of modern cinema. In contrast to the lush sound of movies like Jurassic Park and Star Wars, this score almost feels bare. In the absence of his usual fanfare-laden brass, throughout the film, several instruments associated with Jewish music are featured, especially the violin.
1: It was still emotional. It was, you know, I think it's a extremely emotional piece of music, especially, you know, I've seen the movie, it's tough very tough to watch, it's tough to listen to, but the music is just beautiful, and that's what I wanted to kind of show and and perform in that way.
0: How does that compare to something like a Mahler 5? That's a really deeply emotional piece, but not quite so direct uh, in terms of even, I hate to say pop culture, but common knowledge, cultural context.
1: You know, Mahler 5 for me is one of the happier Mahler symphonies. Um, you know, yeah, it starts with the funeral march, but the end is one of the most uplifting movements um, in all of its symphonies. I love Mahler. Um, Personally, I I think all of his symphonies are just masterworks. It is hard to compare to something like Schindler's List or something like movie themes, but I think a lot of Mahler themes are cinematic in, in its writing. So I agree they're totally different, and it's kind of saying you're kind of comparing apples to oranges, but still music. There are moments in Mahler where I get just as invested emotionally as I do with something that has an image already ingrained from a movie or pop culture, you know, a TV show or something where there's an image attached to the theme. You know, I think there is definitely some parts in Mahler where I feel it could easily be a part of a movie score. And so that helps me, you know, get get the right feeling as well.
0: Well, and you say that, and how is it different as a concerto soloist, then even as a concertmaster, you have solos fairly often, but then how is that kind of uh, experience different?
1: It's quite different. Um, As a soloist, you're kind of given much more freedom. The orchestra and the conductor are more in tune to what you're doing and hopefully following you and letting you make decisions on tempo, dynamics, all within what the composer has written, but you're kind of the, the lead interpreter. My job as a concertmaster is slightly different where the conductor is then the, the interpreter of the score. My job is to kind of be the captain of the team of the players on the musicians to rally together and do as much as we can what the conductor is asking. Uh, So there's a little bit of difference where the soloist, you're kind of in command of yourself and the orchestra's kind of following you, whereas concertmaster, yes, hopefully the orchestra, other musicians are following you, but you're still, you're wanting to support the conductor or whoever's on the podium um, to just help them achieve their ideas and goals. That sometimes changes though, as you said, when concertmasters, I do have the opportunity to play solos from the chair that are written in a piece of music. And in that sense, you kind of have to switch hats. Um, you then become kind of a soloist. So you don't have to stand, but you, you kind of take a solo leadership, but then sometimes it's only two or three measures and you go back and playing with the sections. So you kind of switch hats again and go back to being a section player. There are things that just kind of happen on stage that a lot of people don't realize I was responsible or the concertmaster was responsible for uh, with the the team of other principal uh, string players. Then they they take my part, say I, I bow the first violin part, then the principal second and the violist, principal viola, principal cello will all look at my part and base their section bowings on what I have chosen to do. So. There's a lot of that happening, and that all happens throughout the year, sometimes three, four months before the concert.
0: It's time for a short break. You're listening to composer Jonathan Leshnoff's Symphony No. 4, performed by the Nashville Symphony. I expected Juni Wasaki to tell me about a lifelong, direct path to becoming a concertmaster. But his path actually started a little bit non-traditionally. Did you start on the violin?
1: No. I started on cello. It didn't last long. My father is a professional cellist, and I I think they just put a cello in my hands, and I just said, you know what, this doesn't feel... I think it was too big, or I I don't know. I was very young. I was like three or four. Um, And then my parents said I switched or they switched me to a violin. I think I wanted something a little easier to carry around.
0: Well, that's not a common transition. It's usually the opposite, right? You start on the violin and...
1: I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people start on piano. Um, My father, ironically, started the opposite. He started on violin and switched to cello. But I'm not sure if that's a common route. I'm just happy that I... Started on a string instrument, switched to another string instrument. But I don't even remember really playing the cello.
0: I tried to play the cello as a secondary instrument in high school. Took it home, tried to tune it, broke a string. Put it back in the case, (laughs) took it right back to school, never touched it again.
1: It might be a sign, you know, if you break the string the first time playing.
0: And to become a concert master, it's not just that you went through the same schooling as everyone else. Like you went to a special... Concertmaster Academy,
1: right? I did. Right? Yeah, I did. Um, it's it, Obviously, it's not necessary. There's only one program uh, that I know of that is specifically for that. And it was a very intensive uh, year of learning not only the typical Concertmaster excerpts, all the solos, you know, Scheherazade, Ein Heldenleben, a lot of the big Concertmaster solos. I joined a quartet at school, and that was really fun because I really love chamber music. And... Then one by one, our members of the quartet started winning jobs in orchestras. And I said, you know what, it's just, A, it's stability. Um, you know, coming from the adult thinking, it's it's, a, its probably the most stable musician job. Once you get into an orchestra, it's its job security is what it is. More than that, for me, again, like I said, I love the rep. I loved playing in orchestra in school. Now, not a lot of people do, but I liked being in orchestra. I liked learning all the Mahler symphonies, Beethoven, Brahms, all that stuff is fun to play. And I, tr- I treated it like a big chamber music group. My teacher said, you know, you should consider being like trying to become a concert master for an orchestra because you have the personality for it. You obviously like chamber music and you are physically you play, you lead. And that's something that can't really be taught. It, it, it can be, but it's more natural some people have it some people don't or they feel comfortable doing it but I think the the most important thing that helped draw me towards going that route instead of saying no I still want to pursue a soloist career was as a concert master you still get to play concertos almost every year you get to play chamber music and and you get to play all the, the great music and you're kind of the hot shot kind of you 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 are the leader of of, of a, a bigger group. And I thought about it. I so said, you know what? All my boxes are checked then.
0: What is your sort of set of advice for, first of all, for the young wannabe concertmaster?
1: I would say, listen to lots of symphonic repertoire. Learn to love the symphonic repertoire, which I do. And and that's why I chose this job. I I chose this path as a violinist because I love the rep. You still need to be a, a solid, solid violinist.
0: And then advice for the young violinists in general even the very young violinist?
1: You know, have fun. You know, try to find a way to have make practicing fun. If you want to take a break, feel free to. But I would encourage young violinists, any young instrumentalist, to at least play a little bit every day. Uh, it's, it's really important when you're young. It's like learning a language um, to just kind of play a little bit every day. I'm not saying that it needs to be six hours a day, but... You can do one hour. If you can do, well, if all you can do is a half hour, at least that's better than nothing.
0: This is actually a common etiquette question among my music appreciation students because I teach at Nashville State Community College, and they have the question: if the soloist, like say it's a violinist playing as the soloist, if the soloist breaks a string, do they take your violin or the next? the second chair's instrument, or do you pass yours over and then you, but do you still lead? And then, so they're, they're kind of curious about the what ifs.
1: There are a lot of what ifs and a lot of times it's, it's a case by case scenario. It depends where in the piece it happens. If it's the, if it's really early, the soloist will probably go off stage, change the string, his or her string, come back and start over. If it's right in the middle or if it's towards the end and, and they, they, still need that E string or whatever string. It's usually the E string that breaks. What I would do is, is offer my violin first. And if it's something that I could finish playing, the orchestral part, I would just continue with the broken string play on three, three strings. If it's a little more involved, I may trade then that one with my stand partner so that I have a... <laughs> a fully functional violin and continue leading. But the main thing is that I stop. I don't stop playing, except for maybe just that quick switch. Um, now, when when my string breaks, which has happened a few times, I immediately switch with my stand partner. He has a set of my strings in his jacket pocket, and he will change the string while I play his instrument. And then once he's done, we switch back. So that's common Common etiquette, I guess, for when strings break in a section.
0: Three degrees in classical music, and <laughs> I didn't know that. Favorite of the box sonatas and partitas.
1: They're all they're all great. I think this the third sonata is almost perfect. I tend I think I, I gravitate towards the sonatas a little more. I think the partitas for me, I, I like playing them. I think they're brilliant. And the fact that they're all dance movements really um, helps shape how I interpret them, how I play them. Like the Chaconne is part of one of the great partitas, but personally, I I think the sonatas are a little bit more, I don't know, I gravitate towards them a little bit more.
0: I played the Chaconne on the marimba. Mm -hmm. It sounds good everywhere it goes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it could sound good on a toy piano. Before we wrapped up our interview, I asked June, who sits in that front chair for about 140 concerts each season, what he wants the audience to know.
1: What I think I've noticed, especially here in Nashville, is don't be afraid to show your appreciation for something just because you think you're not supposed to. The old rules of you can only clap here and clap there, they're new. Somebody made that up. Back when Beethoven was writing... And alive and premiering, they would clap between every movement. Almost the and sometimes they would clap so much that they would play that movement again. You know, I I don't know where this tradition of you can't clap between movements came. Now there are times where I appreciate it when there isn't. You know, after a very slow, quiet ending, it's not. You know, the silence I think is part of the performance. But if the first movement ends in a bang and you really liked it, show us.
0: Classically Speaking is a production of Nashville Public Radio's 91 Classical. The show was edited by Anita Bug with production help from Ed Lambert. In this episode, we heard performances of the Nashville Symphony, engineered by Trevor Wilkinson, including three pieces from Schindler's List by John Williams, Mahler's Fifth Symphony, also Schrock Zarathustra by Richard Strauss, J.S. Bach's Concerto for Two Violins performed alongside Pincus Zuckerman, and Yasha Heifetz's recording of the Bach D minor Chaconne listen to classically speaking for free anytime on 91 classical.org in the nashville public radio app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts also help us get the word out with a rating or a review i'm colleen phelps thanks for enjoying your backstage pass to nashville's classical music classically speaking